Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. This is the last one in the series that we're going through on Jesus Church. And what we're looking at is what is Jesus Church? What does God say about his church in the Bible? And how do we apply that and how do we live that out now? So we've had the church as a family, using a family analogy of God the Father and we all join together as brothers and sisters uh, and we are a family in unity and relationship together. The next one we looked at, we've looked at um, the body, how we are a body as Christ as the head, using the analogy of Jesus as the head, controlling the body and, and kind of us looking to Jesus as our head and we as the hands and the feet and the arms and the fingers and whatever part of the body you would like to be, um, joined together with him so that we are walking out his purposes. Uh, we've also looked at the uh, church as the bride, which is the, 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 the bride of Christ who are gonna one day be joined to Jesus in heaven uh, when we meet with him again. And we also, last week, Daniel walked us through the church as the army which is us joined together again. That's a consistent theme throughout the whole thing is we are joined together and that we are walking out as an army and we are advancing his kingdom. We are walking according to the beat of his drum, not according to the beat of our own drum, okay? And all these things are joined together and they are, uh, they are made clear in scripture. And the one we're gonna look at today is Jesus' church as the temple. Now. When I say that, uh, this temple is one of those words that instantly makes you think of certain things, maybe from your past or your understanding of what temple is. If you're from the east, certainly further east than here, the temple has huge connotations. When you think of the word temple, you think of different religions. You think of Buddhism and Taoism and all these things. The, the, the temple is the central point, the physical stones, the place that you go to pray, the place that you go to do whatever you do, okay? Myself, and I don't know if you can identify with this as well, from the West, my association with the temple is, I don't really know where it fits because I haven't grown up with it. I haven't grown up with uh, the, the, the understanding of what temple is. And in scripture, as a Westerner, in scripture, we approach it with a different lens and different goggles as you would if you're coming from the East. What I wanna be really clear about today is what we are not talking about. We are not talking about us going out and cutting some stones, physical stones ourselves, and let's erect a temple, let's find a building, let's even a church building that where we can go and we can do our service. That is not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about today is the metaphorical stones that we are and how actually, as all the other analogies of the church indicated, that we are joined together and we form the temple. That is me and you and everyone here cut and put together in a metaphorical sense that we are then become his temple and the place where he is worshipped. Is that clear? Yeah? So that's what we're going for today. Now, uh, in true preaching fashion, I've got some points which I wanna go through, okay? I'm gonna go really quickly, 
Okay, so please forgive me if I speak too quickly because I want to lay, again, pardon the pun, I want to lay the foundation for this preach uh, as we build up to what is the application? What are we meant to do with this temple that we are now being built up into? Okay, so when we talk about the temple in scripture, the main references you get to the temple or a temple-like structure are in the Old Testament. The Bible is made up of the old and the new. The new starts with Jesus, the old starts with creation. So we're looking at the Old Testament right from the beginning and we're looking at how did the temple or temple structures or temple analogies, not, we're not gonna look at the minutiae of how they were constructed, we're gonna look at what did they represent. What was God trying to tell us in the Old Testament that he wanted to do through the physical temple? And then we're gonna look at what he wants to do through us as now the metaphorical spiritual temple as Grant read about earlier. Okay, so when you get to the start of scripture, the first mention of a structure that is like a temple is called the tent of meeting. This is constructed by Moses. He was a prophet. He was also a kind of a priest as well. He came and he took the Israelites out of Egypt where they had been in captivity for 400 years. And he erects in the desert where they're wandering for 40 years, he erects this quite ornate, beautiful tent. And as Grant read earlier, this tent is placed outside of the, outside of kind of the, not the city, because they weren't a city, outside of their, their gathering. So imagine you've got, Here's the, here's the Israelites in their tents all gathered around, set up however they want to set up, probably in their tribes. And then outside, you've got the tent of meeting. And this place is where Moses goes and he walks out and he goes in and you see the cloud of the presence of God hit this, te this tent of meeting. And Moses goes in and he talks with God. He talks with God as a man does with a friend. Very similar to what Andrew was saying earlier how he met and he talked with God and he was impacted by it. That's what Moses experienced whenever he went in. And this picture of the Israelites, uh, we'll get into it later, I'm just quite excited. The picture of the Israelites standing there just looking at him going into this and worshiping because that's all they can do. And then the next point we find is where God says, okay, I, you've got the tent of meeting and I come with you and I meet in a cloud, but I wanna be closer to you and I wanna live with you. And he says, I'm gonna build myself, I want you to build me, sorry, a tabernacle, which was a smaller tent that went and slotted inside of the tent of meeting. And he puts his presence in there. He puts his Holy Spirit in there. He says, I'm gonna live in there and what happens when he puts his presence into the, into the tabernacle, they go from being outside and they pick up the tent and the tabernacle and they bring it and they put it right in the middle of the Israelites gathered together. Amen. So that's the second one. The next one is where King David, who's the king of all Old Testament kings, about, I'm not gonna have it down to the year, like let's say 800 years, okay, later, where they're living with this tabernacle, 800 years later, David says, I have it deep in my heart to build a temple for God. And he says, and God comes to him and says, you've got it in your heart, but that's not my design. He says, you've spilled too much blood, you've won too many wars, fought too many people. My, your son Solomon will build that temple. And what we get is Solomon's temple, which was massive. 
I mean, it was no longer tent, and oh, goodness me, imagine these guys having to pack up the tent and pack down the tent all the time. Has anyone ever been camping? Like, seriously. And I'm not talking camping where you get the circular thing, you throw it open, it goes poof, like this, and opens up. I'm talking canvas, I'm talking ropes, I'm talking poles, everything. And this is not, this is not the sort of canvas that you can just scrumple up any way which we want and shove into the bag at the end. This is one that must be cared for, that is ornate, that is beautifully adorned as God wanted it to be. And they had to unpack this and, and pack this all the time. Now you get this huge stone structure and Solomon builds it. And then lo and behold, the Israelites turn away from God, that is destroyed. And then the next temple you get is where God speaks to a man called Ezra. Cool name, right? Anyone ever know an Ezra? Yeah, it's a cool, I wish I was an Ezra. And he, and he not Tom, it's so boring. And he comes in and he builds this temple and that is the same temple that then you see in Jesus' time when Jesus then comes again. And there are four things that are consistent through each and every form of temple that you see. You have in, in, the, in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, and the rebuild, you see all four of these things. The first one is, you see that it is a place where heaven and earth intersect. The place where you have God in all his power, authority, and majesty, and us, I'll leave it at that. And they intersect in this place. It's the place where they can only dwell. So God revealed himself in scripture, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He revealed himself on a mountain. He revealed himself in a, uh, a fire. But the only place that he was pleased to dwell was in the temple that was built for him. Specially, I want to say this, specially built for him. The next point you see is where heaven meets earth and the next one is that the temple shows that it's actually God's desire to live with his people, to live in the midst of his people. You remember he said, I'm going to bring my presence and I'm going to put it in something called the tabernacle, i.e. the box. And he's going to come and he's going to dwell in the middle of his people. He was always intent on living with us. He wanted to be with us and he wants to be with us now he is not a distant far off god he is a up close personal god he is not an acquaintance who you sometimes meet he is a friend who walks with you this is what he wanted to say he said i want to live with you the third point is that he wanted not just to live with you but he wanted to extend his rule his kingdom through the Israelites through his people through the people that he has chosen and he has brought along with him you with me so far yes. yeah so we've got heaven meets earth living with and ruling through and the last point is that the temple was a place for his people to minister to each other but more importantly a place for them to minister to God a place for them to talk to God and these are the four things that always remain throughout every existence of what we will call the temple or the temple structure and the amazing thing is when you get to the New Testament and you find Jesus Jesus is the fulfillment and is the perfect temple 
he comes and he says temple no longer belong no longer belongs to rocks and stone and bricks it belongs in me and in my body and we're going to unpack that now quickly if i can remember my mother-in-law's date of birth that's the password to the ipad okay all right so jesus comes and he says i am the fulfillment of this what you my people for thousands of years have been building and has been teared down and then real rebuilding and what is set up as on the uh, it was called on the temple mount in jerusalem which is you go up it's really steep and it's the highest most amazing magnificent thing you can see that is the temple he says that is not it anymore that's not your focus i'm here i am your focus now jesus came the first point was that heaven meets earth in the temple jesus was literally heaven coming down to earth he embodied that within his body it says in in scripture it says in um john 1 he says uh, that says very very truly you will see heaven open and the angel of god ascending and descending on the son of man he's referring back to an amazing vision in the old testament where jacob sees heaven opened and angels coming down on a ladder and then going up on a ladder and they're just having a great time going up on the ladder singing praises to god the whole time and jesus here is saying you'll see heaven opened angels descending and ascending on the son of man he's saying i am that ladder I am the one on which you see heaven come down and I am the one on which you will go to heaven. He is the exact embodiment of the temple, heaven meeting earth. Does that make sense? Yeah? Good? Come on, Shido. Where's Shido when you want some noise? Come on, guys. If you don't know Shido, he's, he makes a lot of noise. Okay. The second point is the temple is where God chooses to live with his people. Do I need to expand on this too much further? He, God was, Jesus was literally Emmanuel, God with us. The start of Matthew's gospel and the last verse of Matthew's gospel says, behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. He is with us the whole time. He embodies the temple perfectly because that is him. He is God living with us. The third one is his desire, the, the use of the temple to extend the kingdom. The first words that, that, that God, that Jesus uses to almost announce himself on the stage. He's 30 years old. He's been training to be a, a, a 30-ish old. He's been training to be a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter. And he knows that now his public ministry is starting. Now he's going to be walking out what God has called him to walk out. He says this in Matthew uh, 4.17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like literally the frame of his ministry of what he wanted to do was to bring the kingdom of heaven, to extend the rule of God. And I'm not unabashed, I'm not ashamed of saying rule because I feel that's, that is a, we can't skirt around this, that he wanted to bring his kingdom, his kingdom rule on the earth. And he was calling everyone to repent which basically means to get in line to come along and get in line and say i'm going to the kingdom of heaven i'm following this kingdom of heaven that jesus is talking about and the last one that was a place for god to minister 
to us and us to minister to each other and the temple was a place for us to minister to him and look up at him and stare at him the amazing thing about that is that's exactly what Jesus did you know the temple was serviced by priests and when you say priest to me I think uh, dog collar yeah I think uh, long robes and I think holy water flicking that's what I think but a priest to other people maybe means something completely different wherever you're from but they all have this strong religious connotation that the priest is there to minister for you because you can't do it yourself but actually Jesus comes and he says that I am the ultimate priest in the, in the old in the olden days in the temple a large part of what they did I'm, I'm trying to unpack like like literally tomes in the space of two minutes so forgive me if I don't get this exactly right but what they did was they would take uh, a multitude of different animals and they would offer animal sacrifices as a way of basically saying Lord we are we are sorry for the things we've done wrong we want to come to you we want to be clean enough to come to you and the priest did that for the people Jesus did what no other priest could do he gave himself as the sacrifice he said you don't need to do your sacrificing anymore because I will be the one that will lay down on the altar which actually turned out to be a cross and I will sacrifice myself for you so that you don't need to do that do that anymore so he was the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice like if I if I said okay you know I want to be the priest and and lay myself down on the altar or like I'm gonna die so that you guys can live you guys would be like oh thanks so much it would have no spiritual impact no impact on eternity no impact on anything at all apart from being a nice thing that someone did it was a bit stupid okay but when Jesus did it because he was heaven meeting earth because he was the Son of God it did all that it was meant to do and it destroyed all that Satan was trying to do as well Amen. so he was the fulfillment the interesting thing for me is that in his fulfillment he had to go through something that we and I struggle to do he had to go through rejection in order for him to be that sacrifice he first had to be rejected he had to be rejected by man the one Peter passage that we read about moving forward is where it actually says the builders rejected him. The guys who were the Israelites, the guys who were the Jewish leaders who were in charge of the temple came to him and said, no, no, no. Like, you, 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 what are you doing? He said, I am the temple. It says in, um, it says in John 2.12, where Jesus has just gone into the temple, the physical temple itself, and he has made a whip out of cords and he's driven out the people who are basically desecrating the temple. He's, they say to him, the Jews responded, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. They replied, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he was speaking of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. 
So if the four points that I said that he is the fulfillment, the perfect temple is not enough, Jesus is literally saying it himself, that he is now the replacement temple. He is the one who carries the presence of God and he came and he died for us. Jesus' rejection on the cross became the foundation on which our temple is now being built. So we were singing about in the last song, those of you maybe haven't sung that song before, it said, Christ the cornerstone, or Christ our cornerstone. It's basically saying Jesus is the foundation, the place in our spiritual temple that is first. The amazing thing about a cornerstone is, is that in the olden days the cornerstone was taken, it was cut perfectly and it was placed, as you would imagine, in the corner of the building. And every line and every measurement was then taken from that cornerstone to build the rest of the building. I, I, um, I grew up in a place called Bath. Uh, some of you might say Bath. It's Bath. Okay, like a bath where you wash, because there's Roman baths, there is an ancient place. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah, yeah good, excellent. Well, if you haven't, you should. Um, the whole of the center of this town is made up of one type of stone. It's called bath stone. And it's actually not allowed to build any other, but even the police station is made out of bath stone. Okay, and it's this amazing type of stone. And, and Jesus, in this analogy, is the stone. He is the original, the archetype over, after which all other stones were fashioned. And it got me thinking when they were building Bath or any of these buildings around, there must have been the first brick. Like there must have been a prototype brick where they've just they, they've they fashioned one, no, that's not going to work, is it? And then they go to the next big block of rock and they cut that one, I think. Mm, maybe, let's try again. And they get this one, and it is, the, it is the perfect stone by which all other stones are made after. That's us. This passage says that we are living stones. That we are stones fashioned after the perfect stone. We are not exactly like the perfect stone. We are, so we are not exactly the perfect stone, but we are like, we are made after that stone that we're being built up to as a spiritual temple. Isaiah 28, 16 says this, this is a prophetic vision from Isaiah the prophet, it says that, that uh, God says, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious, sure foundation. I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. This amazing vision thousands of years before Jesus even came and God says, I'm going to lay this stone and it will be precious. It will be tested. That's to see that it's good, that it's right. And it will be a sure foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 12 says this, for we are God's fellow workers. You are, uh, you are God's building according to the grace of God which was given to me as a master builder this is Paul writing says I have laid the foundation and another builds on it but let each one take heed how he builds on it for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ the um, ultimate foundation and lastly in Ephesians 2 it says this now therefore you are no longer strangers 
or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You have it encapsulated perfectly, Jesus, the only true righteous cornerstone. And on him we are built up, on him we find our purpose, on him we find our being, and on him we can rest and we become this place for God's Spirit to dwell. Which I feel as a church, as a community, Trinity Church London, it feels like we're getting something there, right? It feels like we are on that path. We are in, on that momentum that God has got us on from the testimonies that I heard this morning and at other times as well. So I've got four applications for you. Again, apologies if I've moved too quickly. I'm going to go through these because I think these are just incredible for us to aim to be. As I said before, we are living stones. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, uh, 4 says, 1 Peter 2, 5, sorry, says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. There is a continual process of us being built up. It is not that we are built once and that's it, that there is, we are still being built up together as a church and we're still being laid on top of each other. You know, when a stone finds its place in a wall, it doesn't think about like, whoa, whoa what's going on here? It, a stone finds its place in the wall and it finds its purpose. A stone was fashioned to be a stone and it finds its purpose in that place. When I was a, a, a Christian, a young Christian, I struggled to find my place I, I i'd read my bible my parents you know they were great they were patient with me as much as i tried to run away and do something else they would help bring me back and when i was at university i found a small church i was going to this massive great big thing and and it was a good church but i just couldn't find my place and in the end i left and i went to this 30, 40 people, tiny little church in Portsmouth. There were like three other students. Everyone else was, you know, had proper jobs or proper, they were adults, basically. I was trying my best, but I wasn't. And, and I found my place there in a community that I felt that I could be built on top of and felt that I could be kind of grafted into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And... The amazing thing about this, about being a living stone, is that actually when we find our place in Jesus and our place in community, actually we are stones being built on top of each other. And if a stone is taken out of the wall, you can see, right? You see this big gaping hole. It means that actually me as a stone, I rely on the stones next to me. Like my life group, my community group, the amount of times my, my wife, Tisha, and I have been on a Thursday night when we have community group, just like, oh my goodness, like it's an hour to go, we've just finished work and the kids are causing riot and we're like, really, are we doing this again? And we're setting up and we're moving tables and carrying chairs and everything. And then the group gets there and we're like, oh Jesus, yes. It's amazing, like we need our community group. 
We need those people that we are that we are settled on, that we are close to, that we are touching, that we that people that know our lives and we know their lives. So it's so important as we look to Jesus as the cornerstone, as the fulfillment of the temple, to be those stones. You know, the the the, the stone lying on its own in the pile of other stones that haven't been put anywhere. I I feel like I, I want you, if you are on the outside, if you don't feel like you've been grafted in yet, I want you to be taken and to be put with us, like to be built with us. And I'll get some cement and we'll like glue you in there. Like this is it. We want you to be in this community. We want you to be this stone, this community joined together. The second uh, application I want to bring forward is the whole idea of being a holy priesthood. The passage in 1 Peter 2 talks about uh, that you're a spiritual house to be uh, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. The whole role of the priest in those days was to offer the sacrifices, to guard the temple, to keep it clean, all those sorts of things. But when it first appeared, do you remember the first picture we had in Exodus 33 of the first priest entering that tent of meeting. I want you to picture this with me, of this camp, the tent of meeting outside of it, and Moses walks out and he enters this temple, this, this, this temple structure, and the presence of God in a cloud drops on the tent of meeting. And the whole of the Israelites come out of their tents. This is about two million people plus. And they come out of their tents and they stand at the entrance of their tents and they watch Moses walk in. And they stand there and they worship. And they gaze upon the presence of the wonder of God in that place. And they continue to worship until he comes out. What an incredible picture. What an amazing picture. But that's not the end of it. Because when Jesus came, he threw open the tent entrance and he said, don't stand at the edge worshipping and praising anymore. Be a priest and enter with me. It's like, imagine you have two million people going like I want to get into the tabernacle I want to get into the tent of meeting I want to go in I mean they'd be a squeeze you wouldn't be able to fit them all in there Jesus says my tent is big enough my temple is big enough for you you are part of it and you get welcomed in to my presence don't stand on the outside anymore come into the middle that's what he wants that's what he's asking of you today and when you when you commit yourself to being a priest, although you may feel so far away from being a priest right now, when you commit yourself to service to God, to service to each other, to whatever it might be, and you come into his presence, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Like it's, it's something to behold. And I don't, I'm not talking about being amazing. I, John, John is a friend. He's recently joined the church. Hey, John. He's operating the camera today. I, I, he told me this about three weeks ago. It was his first time doing AV in this church. 
uh, audiovisual stuff in this church. And I went up to him and I said, hey, John, how's it going, etc. Oh, you're doing this? Great, awesome. He's only been in the church like two months or something, but he's already serving and ministering. And he said, he said, he said, I know how to work the camera in this bit, but if anything goes wrong, I'm terrible at troubleshooting. Like, I will not know what to do. But I'm learning, and I'm serving, and I want to do this because I feel like I can contribute in this way. I mean, but what is more, what is more priestly, what is more priestly than enabling people online on YouTube who want to look up this service later on, being able to worship and hear the word of God? What is more priestly? John's embarrassed now. Well, he's doing his, he's doing, he's sitting in a chair operating a camera, but he's being a priest. He's ministering because he's enabling the people of God to enter into his presence and hear his word. That is a priestly, that is a ministry. It's where our version of serving becomes ministry. The people on the coffee, you're not just making coffee, you are welcoming people, you are chatting to them, you're you're being community, you're doing all these things. So be the priesthood, but most of all, be a minister to God. Because John doesn't do this for you and me, he does it because it's for God, it's for his glory, it's that his power might be seen, it's so that people might hear the word of God. To be a priest means to minister to God. Third one, when we offer spiritual sacrifices, now this is probably the phrase in this passage that I was like, oh goodness me, how am I gonna do this? It says, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I was like, huh? How am I gonna explain this? So here's a spiritual sacrifice. Romans 12, one says, uh, says that we are to present our bodies, our bodies, our physical bodies as living sacrifices, i.e. that we are not to kill ourselves, that we are to stay living, and that we are able call to work out what God wants to do. Like, here, my hands, my feet, my mind, whatever you want to use, this is for you now, God. It says in Hebrews 13, 15, that the praise of our lips that acknowledge his name is a sacrifice. So speaking out praises to God, not just worship, but speaking out praises to God wherever you are. My, mother, my mother-in-law uh, in Hindu, she has a habit when I, my driving goes a little bit dodgy to start praying in tongues. <laughs> so I kid you not, like we're in Dubai going down a highway and I got a little bit close to the car in front and I hear this, I just hear a pain and I've got a shadow on. I'm like, I'm like, I think we're going to be okay, but I appreciate it. She's giving up prayers of praise. She's offering her lips as a sacrifice to God. <sighs> Sorry, I'm, uh, I apologize. You also have, it says also in Hebrews 13, 16, that doing good to others is our form of spiritual sacrifice. And I was thinking about this, like the temple was to extend the rule of God. Jesus came to extend the kingdom of heaven. But here in this passage, us as I like, how do we do that? But it's here. As we offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices, we will automatically extend the kingdom of God. When I pray for my work colleagues, when I pray for my boss, when I work hard, yeah? When I, when, I, when, I, when I meet people on the street, when I'm chatting to a guy in the pub, all these things, when I'm, extend, when I'm doing these things, I'm doing good and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to praise God, I'm extending his kingdom. I'm, I'm being that, we call it a light, but I'm being temple. I'm expressing what it means to be the temple of God. Does that make sense? 
So we, ex so we extend the kingdom on a micro level, that's me to one or two others, and then the macro level when we as a temple together come together and we have a chance to influence culture. Do you know the way we influence culture? It starts here, verse 4, 1 Peter 2, it says, as you come to him. There is no temple, there is no people of God if we don't come to him. He must be our starting point, he must be our middle point, and he must be our end point. The issue with many religions or some, if I can say, some church nowadays is that Jesus has gone from being the cornerstone to being a discarded stone or even a stone that is out of the center. When Jesus is our stone, when he is our center, that's when we can be built up on him. And as we come to him, you know, I feel really stirred. I, I, we've been in this church for uh, eight months, six, seven months, eight months. And one thing I love, and one thing I knew instantly, I can get behind this. Like this is a church that I can identify with, is the vision. And the vision is to see the glory of God known across London and across the nations. We want to see God's glory known in the nations and we want to see it known in every borough of London. We want to see people come to know God for who he really is, to see his glory. But I can ask you a question, how are we going to see his glory out there if we're not seeking to see it in here? Moses, Moses' words to the people, he could only speak and direct the people because of the fact that he was encountering God in the tent, in the tabernacle. If he had kind of woken up one morning, got the two tablets and written his own rules on them and been like, Ten Commandments, these are the ones I want to come up with. People have tried to do that. Like literally, um, there's a, one, one atheist has written a book particularly, he says, these are my Ten Commandments. And he's rewritten them himself, right? We, we try to do this all the time. And he had gone and shown them to the people, they would have gone, hold on a second. Like, did you invent these or did God invent these? If we are a people seen to be coming to God, his words, his glory is the one that backs us up. That means that we can speak his kingdom and extend his kingdom, but actually people recognize that the glory of God is here, that it's resting on us and it's with us. I, I've seen the glory of God come maybe three or four times fully. The first time, I just want to share this because I feel like it's a story that gets me going as well. The first time I saw the glory of God really, really come was in a church that I was in previously, uh, a little while back. And there was a, a bit of fracture, because there sometimes is in community, in leadership. And we had a big meeting on a Saturday, and we got together and we just settled some things. And we settled our direction and we just like, look, we just love each other. We're going to sort this out. The next Friday, the next weekend, there was church services there, the presence of God fell. And you can't, it wasn't a cloud, but you just, everyone knew it. Like, like everything had to stop. And the amazing thing was that the primary gifts, the gifts that God had given to people already started to come alive. So the guy that was meant to be preaching, he's actually, 
amazing, like he hears from God, an amazing prophet, uh, which, is a, a, which is a spiritual gift. And he started to prophesy. And one other guy started to pray. Another guy started to prophesy. And God just starts working in those moments. And he makes it, it makes it beautiful. And I walked out of there thinking, I've heard about five minutes of the Bible, but actually I've seen God. And that's amazing. The second time was in a, in a, a, a conference meeting, a guy's just preaching. He wasn't really going for it. He was just saying some words and then he stops. And I, and I sent immediately just a weight of the presence of God, the glory of God come in this room. And you could hear a pin drop because the glory of God is there and we know it's there. We know that we are in his presence. We know that we are meeting with him. And that is my desire, my, my deep desire for this church is that we would be a community, a temple of God, where we experience the presence of God, where we don't come into church on a, on a Sunday morning and wonder, is the coffee gonna be hot? Uh, what songs of the band gonna play? You know, all good things that we come in just with this passion and this deep desire that we might see the glory of God come. The Bible says that, that one day in your courts is a, better than a thousand days elsewhere. Okay? We don't, I don't live like that all the time. I don't live like that all the time. I know that if I come and I experience the glory of God in this place, I know that if you have sickness, it will be healed. I know that if you experience the glory of God, that your life will be turned around. If you suffer from addiction, your life will be turned around. Then nothing will remain the same. I don't want to walk, I don't want to walk out of those doors if I'm, if I'm the same at the end of it. And what annoys me and frustrates me about myself sometimes is I'm so concerned about my own rubbish that I miss out on seeing the glory of God in this room. And I love what we shared earlier about God dealing with our rubbish and making us whole. And he 100% he does that. He does that to me all the time almost constantly he's doing that to me but i'd love not to even be concerned about my rubbish when i walk in here and just be open to experiencing the glory and the awesome power of our lord amen, amen. wouldn't that be incredible church I, I don't know how many churches are in this city but i can tell you that if this small community experiences the glory of God and seeks heaven as Andrew was saying earlier it's heaven coming down to earth and we see it in this place oh my goodness will we have an impact oh my goodness will we know that Jesus is alive <laughs> amen amen ah <sighs> why don't we stand let's stand yeah.